Okay, we are recording. Woo! Hi, Casey. Hi, Kayla. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Devil's Food. It's a podcast about true crime. And we're here every week, every Wednesday, to be specific. I like it, Wednesdays. Wednesday. It's a good hump day. Hump Get you through the week. <laughs> <laughs> so... Before we uh, get into our episode today, which it's Casey's episode, I'm very excited about. Me too. I want to say congratulations, Casey. Oh, thank you. For what you had done recently, if you want to tell the people. I recently passed my first of three national boards for my funeral director's licensing. Um, Took the hardest test first, which is the sciences. And you passed. And I passed. Woo! Woo! I was so excited for you. I was telling Scott earlier that that's enough serotonin for me to last two weeks. So we'll <laughs> see what happens. You know, I'm glad that you have a good two weeks ahead of you. Me too, me too. So yeah, the last time we recorded, we had some job updates. So that was your update. That's my update. I got laid off, but I'm so happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's okay. If you want to come work at the funeral home, I'm sure you could. Thank you. Yeah, that's a, that's a no. I can see it in your eyes. I can see it in your eyes. I can talk about true crime. I can't. I don't know if I could physically handle the aftermath, but I'm so glad that you can. Yeah, I love my job. I'm. You do love your job. It's my favorite thing. You're very passionate. I really am. I'm Not pa- to toot my own horn or I'm anything. passionate about this podcast, so if people can... Uh, make this my full-time job and listen i would love you (laughs) no listen kayla really is passionate about this podcast she is our brains in this operation i show up and record and she does the rest and we are very thankful for it well now that you're the only one working (laughs) i have a lot of time to do it that's fair (laughs) so anyway i just wanted to give you a shout out i appreciate it because you deserved it thank you and then to celebrate you get this week's episode yay you ready for this? Yes. All right. Today we're talking about the infamous Jim Jones of Jonestown. And I am kind of excited about it. I've been very excited. This is like our one of our first like big name yeah. cases. It really is. Exciting. I'm excited. And I was corrected because I said a reference about Kool-Aid and I was wrong. Yeah. Well, no. I guess we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> they drink Flavor-Aid. It's... Not Kool-Aid brand name. And I think the Flavor-Aid, I think it's better. Is it? Personal opinion. I've never had it, so I can't have an opinion. I've never had it. Now I have to look for it. But Jim Jones, he was born May 13th, 1931, to James and Lynetta Jones in Crete, Indiana, which was a very rural area. Crete. Crete. Uh, It was mostly just a small little town, mostly farming, and I have no idea how he got to where he is. He was just a small farm boy with lots of corn and cows and had bigger dreams, I guess. Exactly. So James was a disabled World War I veteran uh, who suffered from breathing difficulties due to injuries from chemical warfare. And Lynetta was a stay-at-home mom because she just did not want to work. That was her mm. whole thing. Oh, she did not want to work? Yeah, she did not want to work. 
Um, due to their finances, their marriage was consistently under a strain, and in 1934, the family was evicted from their home for failure to make mortgage payments. Mm. And during this time, it was the Great Depression, so oh. that was happening to a lot of people. Oh, no. Uh, the, the family was forced to move into a shack that was paid for by their relatives uh, because Lynetta's side of the family had more money okay. than James's side of the family. So that's probably why she didn't want to work, too, if she came from money. She yeah. probably didn't see why she had to. Probably. Mm. There's no excuse for it. And the shack they lived in had no water and no electricity. So it was bare minimum shack. It was in definition a shack. A shack, yes. <laughs> So they tried to start a farm to earn a living, but due to James's health, they kept ending up relying on support of their extended family. It was reported that Lynetta had zero motherly instincts and frequently ne- neglected Jim. Mm. Yeah. People who I, don't want kids shouldn't have kids. Personal no, opinion. I don't, yeah. So many of our cases start with, well... The dad was a drunk that hit him, or the mom just hated him. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what it feels like. It's like, that's how every story begins. So, moral of the story, don't be either one of those things. But luckily for Jim, this was one of those towns where it was like a village is there to help take care of the kids. So oh, he was most good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was mostly cared for by the woman of the town he lived in. And the woman would frequently invite him to their homes to give him food, clothing, and other gifts. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so he was cared for in a way. Just not by his mom. Just not by his mom. Well, at least he got something. It's not the same, but it's something. Yeah. Okay. So Jim's first encounter with the religion, which we all know is his his thing. If uh, you don't know, you will know soon. If you don't know, you will. <laughs> uh, his first encounter with religion occurred when Myrtle Kennedy... The wife of a Nazarene church pastor gave him a Bible and encouraged him to study it and follow the holiness code of the Nazarene church. So that the holiness code of the Nazarene church pretty much means Mm -hmm. that he can't go anywhere other than the Nazarene church. Once you start going there, you can't go anywhere else. Okay. But as he grew up, he attended several churches in the community and was baptized in multiple of them. So he would just... (laughs) Balance from church to church, he's Mondays like, through Sundays. He's like, you know, I uh, I don't know which one of these might be 100% true, so I'm just going to make sure I'm covered on all bases. Right? You know, I'm good. I'm getting into some he- some kind of heaven, some kind of way. We're getting there. He's getting there. <laughs> he's, he's, he was baptized you know, he... several times. <laughs> <laughs> so Jim would say that he desired to become a preacher as a child, and... He began preaching in private as a child, which to me is a little excessive. Okay. Like, okay. His mother claims to have been disturbed by his behavior and tried to keep him from attending more church services. So. Can't say I blame her. Can't say I blame I just, her. I don't really know how this went down, but I picture a little kid just being in a room by himself. Just like Southern Baptist style. Like... <laughs> Just, have like, you, yelling. Have you ever heard Jim Jones talk? You know, I don't think I have. If I have, it's been a long time. So he talks like a Southern Baptist. He's mm. really, he's really out there. He's really driving the... Like, once you hear that kind of voice, you know exactly Yeah, exactly what you're talking Yeah. You hear him and you're like, that guy, he's either a Southern Baptist or he's a Pentecostal. One or the other. He's a, he, well, he could have been both. He could have been both. He went to several churches. <laughs> so Jim 
he was a unique child, if you haven't already gathered on that. And this is something that touched my heart because mm-hmm. of who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. But he would frequently hold funeral services for roadkill and would try to get the other neighborhood kids to attend. Um, oh. And then it goes, then, then we kind of, we fall off where it kind of, it warmed my heart. And then we go to a neighbor stated that once Jim killed a cat so he can hold a funeral service. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's it, our first sign of cereal. It It went from being like, it's it's a little weird. It's a little weird. But I can see. <laughs> it could be sweet. It could be sweet. Like if he found like a little critter and was like, oh. Like a little bunny rabbit or yeah, something. Yeah, you need some respect. But no, we then, no. then he goes and kills a cat and it, it's all downhill from there. No. And he, he would claim to have abilities such as flying. And when the kids were like, you can't fly, mm-hmm. he'd jumped off a building and broke his arm to try to prove that he could fly. And then after he broke his arm, he stuck to it. He's like, yeah, I can totally fly. It was, that was my follow-up question was, did he still believe yeah, he, he stuck could to it. fly? <laughs> well, you know, he was committed to the bit, I guess. He was, he was super committed. I don't even have this level of commitment for anything. Mm-mm. And I can guarantee I don't. No. Not enough I'm jumping off a roof. No. So there were times where he would guide the neighbor kids in the life-threatening situations and claim that he was guided by the angel of death. If I had a friend when I was like nine years old who was like, yeah, man, I'm being guided by the angel of death. Follow me. I would dip out. I would not even make eye contact with that person. No. Here these kids are still following them in these situations. No. I mean, if he would have just said, like, an angel or something, I feel like some kids would be like, okay, cool. Whatever. Yeah. I kind of cringed when I said that. You couldn't see it. But anyway. <laughs> but if he said, oh, by the way, the angel of death is telling me to go over here. You, sh- you should. You should follow. You should come with. Yeah. It's like, nah. Yeah, no. No. <laughs> so... Even though he was very religious and went to mm. several churches, he was kind of an asshole. No. He was really into sacrilegious pranks in the churches he attended. He I want to hear about these pranks. He once replaced a cup of holy water with his own urine. And if you know anything about holy water in the Catholic Church, they mm-hmm. sprinkle that shit on everything. <laughs> the amount of caskets that I've seen absolutely soaked in holy water. <sighs> Um, I, I couldn't even imagine no. that it would be no. So Jim's neighbors would state that he was an unusual child obsessed with religion and death, which we get. We see it. We know. Yeah. I mean, he's not subtle. No, not <laughs> not at all. No. Jim would frequently misbehave as a child and steal candy from the merchants and his mother would end up having to pay for it all. He would curse and use profane language casually, which in that time... It was like a big no-no. It was a big no-no, especially for anybody who was an adolescent. It was super frowned upon. Mm-hmm. These behaviors led to his mother beating him with a leather belt. That'll do it. That'll do it. In his high school years, he went by Jimmy and carried a Bible with him and wore his Sunday best every day of the week. So, think... He was that kid? Think Mormons. <laughs> Like, 
you're if you ever see a Mormon, they've got their pocket Bible. They are dressed nicely, mm-hmm. like they're getting ready to go to church. I see Mormons all the time. There's mm-hmm. a couple that live behind the funeral home. Um, so that's that's what I think of when I yeah. think that he's in his Sunday's best. Yeah, especially for that time period, because people really dressed up back then, like in a suit or button up or something. Yeah. He was like that kid who was like raised by their grandparents and had yeah. to dress up when they went to school. <laughs> Said things like, darn Skippy. <laughs> you little rascal. <laughs> so Jim Jones, he didn't like losing in sports, and he opted in the coaching sports for younger kids instead. His time organizing baseball leagues ended when he murdered a dog from, he murdered a dog by dropping it out of a window in front of the young players. So, I would say that would get you fired. I would say that would get you fired. Why? Why? He was trying to motivate them into winning. Like, if you don't win, this dog's going to die. Every time you lose and went through a dog out the window? Yep. No. I'm just going to say if I was on that team, I would quit. Mainly because I'm so bad at sports. I would just I would just. Quit I would anyways. lose. I mean, I'd quit anyway, but I'd be like, I'm going to be responsible of too many dogs. <laughs> Yeah, no. Like, that's I, not happening. That's not happening for me either. No. So, Ooh. his father, James, he was in the Ku Klux Klan. And I, yeah, yeah. I mean, for the time. It was the time. It was the 50s. No, this was the 40s. Oh, see, I think it was earlier. Yeah, this was the 40s. So, we're in the 40s right now. And where was this, Kate? Crete, Indiana. Indiana. Okay. So, rural area. Rural area. Not too many African-American people. Mm-mm. So, his dad was in the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah. Jim, however, was disturbed by the general treatment of the African-American community and had a strong aversion to racism. So... But we'll give him that. He had one good quality about him. I have a feeling that the motive isn't for good. <laughs> but... Is it ever... Not for Jim. Not for Jim. No. Not for good old Jimmy. Jimmy. Jim would go on to describe that him and his father had disagreements about race, and when Jim tried to bring one of his black friends to their home, they had not... When So when Jim had tried to bring one of his black friends to their home, mm-hmm. it caused an argument between him and his father, and they had not spoken in many, many years. I'm just trying to go through the proce- like the thought process of... My dad's in the KKK. Let me bring a black Let friend. Let me bring home. my black friend and just hope for the best. Hope that nothing bad happens. And hope nothing bad happens to my friend. Right. I, I wouldn't even like, subject my friends to that. No. And it wouldn't even be like embarrassment. I just would be scared to death that like he'd have a target on him. Right. I don't know how that works, but I wouldn't think good things would happen. Mm-mm. No. No. Not a good thing. Not a good thought, Jimmy. No, Jimmy. No. Mm. So in 1945, Jim's parents had divorced and he had moved with his mother to Richmond, Indiana, where he graduated high school in 1948. And he graduated early and with honors. Mm-hmm. Why are they always smart? Why are they always smart? You know, he, if I feel like you got to be smart in order to be able to mm-hmm. talk all these people into doing what they did. You have to be a good talker. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. To support himself, he got a job at Reed Hospital, where he met Marceline Baldwin. That's a pretty name. It is a pretty name. I love that. I love that name. Marcy. They married on June 12, 1949, in Bloomington, Indiana. 
Marceline worked at a nearby hospital while Jim attended university. Unfortunately, Marceline was a Methodist, and they would frequently argue about church. Jim compromised and began attending a local Methodist church on most Sunday mornings. However, he would regularly, regularly convince his wife to accept atheism. So he had a really weird jump when he I was going to say, what? I feel like I missed a chapter. Yeah. So I couldn't find anywhere, anything <laughs> anywhere about when he became an atheist. Okay. Because I was like, what's the problem with Methodists? That has to be one of the people. That's probably one of the chillest. Uh, from what I've heard, it's a pretty chill religion. And yeah. that, that had to have been one of the ones in his rotation. Oh, yeah. You would think so because so. they're in a rural town. Methodists are everywhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> this is where we get into the weird stuff. Give it to me. Jim would attend gatherings for the Communist Party of the USA and would face harassment from local authorities for his involvement in the Communist Party. Mm-hmm. He became frustrated with how they were being treated and decided he can demonstrate his Marxism by infiltrating the church. Okay. It was early 1952 when Jim would advise that his family would advise his family that he was going to become a Methodist minister. He thought the church was ready to put socialism into practice. The local Methodist district superintendent helped him helped him get a start in the church, despite Jim being a communist. So they were like, we don't believe in that, but we'll help you. Um, in the same summer of 1952, Jim became a student pastor to the children. Again, he's out here working with kids, even though he got fired from his last job working with kids. I love the era before background checks. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> when it comes to these stories, because it's like anybody could get a job doing anything because they just showed up. And they're like, hey, I know, I know this. And they're like, sweet, hired. Hired. Like, that's it. <laughs> that's how it is uh, in Colorado with funeral services. You don't have to be licensed to do what I do in Colorado. Don't die in Colorado. Rule of thumb. Rule of thumb. Try not to. Try to avoid dying in I'm not Colorado. saying that people in Colorado aren't competent at their funeral service jobs. But you should be a little bit more regulated and have to take that national board like everybody else. Yeah. Personal opinion. I had to cry, so you have to cry, too. Um, it's only fair. It's only fair. <laughs> he was dismissed from his position uh, working with children when he was caught stealing from the church funds. He later stated that he was let go because he wanted to integrate the church. So church is saying, hey, man, you're stealing from us. And he's like, but I want I, I want integration here. This is why you mm. don't want me here is because mm -hmm. I want everybody to be equal. That's probably because he wanted everybody in the church so he could get more money. Probably. This is what I meant by there was a motive. There's always a motive. There's always a motive. There's always. In 1953, Jim began attending the, attending and preaching at the Laurel Street Tabernacle in Indianapolis, Indiana. Jim held healing revivals there until 1955 and began to travel and speak at other churches. Jim left and established Wings of Healing, which would lay their... Words words i can speak today <laughs> i took my adderall this morning everything is okay so jim left and established wings of healing which would later be renamed the people's temple okay they started with just 20 members who followed jim from R laurel street tabernacle jim would closely associate with the independent assemblies of god which was an international group of churches the independent assemblies of god ordained jim in 1956 
So he's finally he's finally mm-hmm. ordained, 1956. Took him a long time. Took him a little bit. But mm-hmm. he was also church jumping and trying to figure out his Atheist, thing. communist. Methodist. All the dist. All the dist. Mm. Attendees of Jim's church believed that his performance indicated that he possessed supernatural gifts and it led to rapid growth in the people's temple. Could he fly? Could he fly? I don't know. Mm. But that was an ongoing trend. As a child, he believed. He believes. Mm-hmm. And now the people mm-hmm. believe that, that he, he has, has power. Gifts. Okay. Jim and Marceline incorporated the People's Temple in California in the mid-1960s, where they settled outside the town of Ukiah. It's spelled U-K-I-A-H. Okay. I should have Googled how to pronounce it before I tried to. I'm really glad that the podcast isn't um, making it big yet, because we would be... Called out every other day. Yes, on our pronunciations of things. It'll happen, but we haven't got there yet. We'll get there. We'll get there. Manifesting. I'm, I'm ready to be called out. Call me out. Do it. I dare you. Call me out. I'll probably still say it wrong. I'll probably cry. I won't cry, but I'll probably just say it wrong because I'm me. <laughs> I'm very emotional for somebody who acts like they don't have any emotions. <laughs> It'd be like that. It'd be like that. <laughs> so they settled outside the town of Ukiah and had about 100 followers. They believed that moving to California would save them from the event of a nuclear holocaust. In 1970, he held services in San Francisco, and in 1972, he opened another temple in Los Angeles. He would make friends with politicians and the press in California and was considered a respected churchman. Hmm. So, we got our gifted, healing Jim Jones out here being respected. Mm. Mm. I'm going to go with he probably paid them off. <laughs> Maybe. You know, people uh, with money and power, they get connections. They do get connections. Unfortunately. I like to think, I'm kind of wondering uh, why they thought California was the safer option. <laughs> See, we've been talking about a nuclear holocaust at work a lot recently. I don't know why. Hmm. But we are very, where we are located, we are very close to D.C., and if something were to happen, mm-hmm. we're I done. Think, we're I've done thought about piece. that before. I just hope it's quick. <laughs> I, I try not to think about it too much mm-hmm. because uh, then we get into the details that it won't be quick for us because of how far we are from DC. Yeah. We would end up with uh, third degree burns and just suffer for a little while before we ultimately pass away. Just something to have a little bit of a existential dread. <laughs> just a little bit of existential dread for. The if day. it's not that, it'll be the volcano that erupts in the midwest that's like been lurking for years oh i didn't know this all out i didn't know there was a volcano yeah apparently it's been due for a while oh well hopefully that doesn't happen yeah i don't want no pompeii situation my fear with that is that it's gonna happen and i'm gonna be caught in a very um not ideal position same and i don't know what that position would be but i don't want to be stuck like that forever and then i'm in a museum in like a thousand years like <laughs> in this very embarrassing situation <laughs> i wonder if the people of pompeii thought about stuff like that probably not they were the first they were the first that they knew of that we know of yeah anyway anyway <laughs> thousands of people flocked to jim with the appeal of displays of mind reading and faith healing <laughs> jim jones did not treat his father follow follow 
Jim Jones <laughs> did not treat his followers well. There it is. Members were frequently hum humiliated, beaten, and blackmailed. Many followers were brainwashed or simply convinced to sign over their homes and possessions to the church. Mm. The Af African-American followers were convinced that if they left the temple, they would be placed in government-ran concentration camps. So Jim Jones, piece of was shit. Was doing it. He, he was just out there doing the damn thing. Talking people. I, uh. I, I want to know how smooth of a talker this man was. Mm -hmm. Like, I've listened to video clips of him preaching and such, mm -hmm. but there's no way this man wasn't the world's smoothest talker. Oh, yeah. And you don't have to be right with what you say. You just have to be confident with how you say it. That's how I handle 90% of my life situations. Mm -hmm. And then I stutter like a buffoon, and then it doesn't work anyway. So Same. <laughs> In 1977, after the press began to question Jim's operation, he gathered up several hundred of his followers and flew them over to Guyana in South America, where he had them building a compound for three to four years. Mm. Hmm. This is this episode specifically just reminds me of why we need to like video record our episodes so people can see our facial because expressions our facial expressions just tell a whole story yeah it does. even like i have to remind myself like oh yeah i need to say what i'm thinking because my face is just like what the frick crack and then i i can see it so i try to pause <laughs> so i can give you a second to get it out because <laughs> you need a processing moment anyway so this compound it became known as jonestown as if nobody Original. else nobody else could have guessed i wouldn't have been able to guess you know <laughs> here we are at least he didn't go with something really cringy i mean like jim mopolis jimopolis yeah that could have been bad that mm -hmm. that doesn't have the same ring to it i like jonestown yeah i feel like that could just be a town reminds me of jamestown jamestown and then mm -hmm. we have I know, like, a couple weeks ago, mm -hmm. I was talking about Jonestown to you, and I called it Georgetown, because I was thinking about D.C. There's a small section in D.C. called Georgetown, mm -hmm. and uh, I <laughs> realized an hour later that I had called it Georgetown and not Jonestown, and it was too it late for me to correct myself. I know you've been probably having existential dread about that conversation. Oh, I thinking absolutely Thinking about have. it, but I completely forgot about it. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I mean, you were busy. It was your birthday. You had more important things to think about. I don't, I honestly don't remember you ever saying Georgetown. Perfect. That is what I like yes, to hear. I honestly don't. But anyway. Anyways. <laughs> Jonestown started with 50 settlers and was not ready to, and was not ready for a large influx of settlers. Uh, buildings were falling into disrepair and weeds encroached on the field. Jim warned that, Jim warned that the facilities could only support about 200 people. But then Jim decided that he needed the People's Temple to relocate, and it was urgent that they did. Mm. In May of 1977, Jim and 600 followers Good arrived God. in Jonestown, and 400 more followed in the following months. During this time, Jim sold off the property that they had and over $10 million in assets. Mm. For the first several months... The People's Temple worked six days a week from 6.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. with an hour for lunch because huh. everybody needs a lunch break. Everyone needs lunch. 
1978, the work week was shortened to eight hours a day for five days a week once Jim Jones' health started to decline and Marceline started taking over management of activities. So she was a little bit more lenient lenient mm-hmm. and chill and it was like these people need a break it's like the difference between having um a boomer boss versus a millennial boss absolutely <laughs> like when i was managing the spa mm-hmm. i was definitely more lenient on my workers than the older the older supervisors, supervisors were hmm. and they worked better yeah it's amazing how good people work when uh, you're not up their ass. Right? I'm not here to micromanage anybody. No. I don't even want to micromanage myself. And I have ADHD, so I have to. Or else I get <laughs> off off task. You're doing a great job. Thank you. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Once the work for the day was done, members were required to partake in several hours of activities in the pavilion, which included classes and socialism. This came from the North Korean system of an eight hour of daily work followed by eight hours of study. Okay, so maybe Marceline wasn't being a cool <laughs> supervisor. Well, I think this was uh, something that Jim Jim had implemented because oh, okay. he's see. more in the socialism and communism than Marceline was. Okay. Some of these activities subjected followers to sophisticated mind control and behavior modification techniques. So... Okay. They would go work for eight hours and then go get talked to for eight hours about who knows what. Brain control. Whatever it was, it, it works. Yeah. In June of 1978, Deborah Layton escaped Jonestown and gave some insight on what would happen inside the compound. She stated that one of the ways the members of the cult was controlled from speaking out was by being sent to the extended care unit, where they would be taken to the, in air quotes, medical unit and put on a, put into an coma by drugs. Mm-hmm. So they would drug you a until medically you were induced in a, yeah. coma. Okay. That came out weird. I, I yeah, got but it. But you got it. You got yeah. it. <laughs> and some people were used by Jim Jones as sex slaves. I was waiting for it. Yeah. We can't have a cult without sex slaves. Can't have a cult without they sex slaves. They go hand slaves. in hand. They really do. They really... I was waiting for it. And there it is. And this is where we get a little bit Pentecostal, because others had a python wrapped around their neck okay. as punishment. Yeah. She even recounted mm. that children who cried about wanting to go home would be lowered into a dark well at night. So if you're... A nine-year-old kid, and you just want to go home back to America, they would just be like, well, you're going in the well tonight, buddy. Well, was it like, oh, I want to go back home, home, like USA, or was it like, hey, we just worked for eight hours a day, and like, I just, I like, want to go to sleep? I read it as they wanted to go home, home, back to, okay. back to their country. I imagine it was probably just that they were disturbing in any kind of way. Hmm. If I had to guess, they probably got some kind of punishment, but I don't know that for a fact. Yeah, that, that's fair. People were also forced into something called the box. Of course, it's a box. There's always a box. Mm. It was a six by four by a six by four by three foot coffin. Okay. Uh, where people were confined and held underground while they were berated and reprimanded for slights against the people's temple. Absolutely not. Yeah, no. Absolutely not. I have a huge fear of being buried alive. Same. And I'm very claustrophobic. This would. It, if I had this happen one time, I would be running into the 
jungle I'd, of yeah. Guyana or wherever this is. Yeah, for wherever sure. they moved, I would it's, be running into the jungle and just facing my chances with a lion. <laughs> Are there lions in South America? Is it South America? South America. I was thinking Africa. That's oh. so much. Well, Guyana sounds like a. I'm gonna Google it now because now I'm questioning my existence. I'll I'll give you a second. Okay. 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 Water break. Water break. It's in South America. I'm uncultured. We knew that. We knew that. To be fair. Deborah Layton also stated that residents of Jonestown were being purposely starved where they would have rice for breakfast, rice water soup for lunch, and rice and beans for dinner. No. Yeah, that's a no. On Sundays, they would get an egg and a cookie. Wow. And occasionally they would get vegetables. While Jim mm. ate more substantial meals that included meats, and he claimed it was because of his blood sugar. Because no one else has a blood sugar? Because nobody else has blood sugar problems. Only Jim. I mean, if they would have made, like, potatoes or something, I feel like I'd be happier with that than rice. Yeah. I don't think I'd... I mean, I don't want either one. I don't want potato water soup. (laughs) I don't think I would have been able to survive in Jonestown. No. Most people didn't. But I definitely... Sorry. (laughs) I definitely wouldn't be able to. So Sorry. Okay. I'm composed. (laughs) As Jonestown continues to grow, Jim Jones got more paranoid over a government raid and would enact drills called White Nights, where he would call, alert, 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 over the community loudspeaker, over and over and over and over again, which would call everyone to meet at the Central Pavilion. During the gathering, armed guards would surround the pavilion. During the drill, members would stay at the pavilion and Jim would tell them that the community was surrounded by agents ready to destroy them. One of these drills lasted as long as six days. So so they would basically just call people to go to this pavilion and just wait it out. Uh-huh. They would okay. just be in fear. That's a, that's a drill. That's a drill. That's a way to make you feel safe. So these drills were meant to keep the members of Jonestown fearful and keep them from leaving the commune, which if you're afraid that the government's out Mm -hmm. in the jungle or lions or lions, apparently. (laughs) So I I get I I, I understand why he was doing it. It was another Mm -hmm. manipulation. Yeah. Which at that point, they're probably very easily manipulated. He, He would just have to say something and they'd do it for sure. In 1978, he enacted a white night drill where he had advised the members that he would distribute poison for everyone to drink in an act of suicide. A batch of Flavor-Aid fruit punch was... Flavor-Aid. Dis- Flavor-Aid. Uh, fruit punch was distributed and members drank it and waited for their death. Once the drill was over, Jim announced that it was only a drill and they had not been poisoned. So, he was prepping them. Okay. But it wasn't actually poisoned. It was not poisoned. I didn't realize that they did that. Okay. That's new to me. Yeah. Yeah. During these drills, he convinced members that the CIA was working to destroy them and conditioned everyone to accept suicide as means of escape. I feel like I wouldn't do well in Jonestown. I wouldn't. For multiple reasons. One, the rice. Two, the lions. (laughs) But... I feel like I would just be the dumbass to be like, yo, if we're in danger, why can't we just leave? <laughs> right. If 
take me home country roads like yeah to the place where i belong because this ain't it this ain't it Ugh. As 1978 continued, Jonestown was deteriorating. The community was exhausted and overworked as most members were forced to work from early morning to night. Loudspeakers would play constant sermons, and Jim would propagate his beliefs that once everyone is settled and he and his followers, after everyone is settled, that he and his followers would all die and blissfully live together in the afterlife. Mm. So he was conditioning these people. He was letting them know. We're all going to die. We're all going to go mm-hmm. at the same time. Because he probably knew, like, whenever the time would come, because it would come eventually, mm-hmm. you need everybody to listen, like, right then and there. Yeah. You, don't, you don't need to be explaining the process during the process. Exactly. Yeah. So we have now November of 1978. This is our our turn for the worst. Oh, Lord. Because it's been great till now. It's been great till now. <laughs> U.S. Congressman Leo Ryan traveled out to Guyana to inspect the People's Temple and the Jonestown compound. He was investigating rumors that some members were being held against their will and were being subjected to physical and psychological abuse. When he arrived at Jonestown on November 17, 1978, I read that wrong. He had a, he had arrived to Jonestown <laughs> on November 17, 1978. Okay. The following day... Congressman Ryan had several temple members who wanted to return to the United States, so they accompanied him to his truck. Other members of the temple attacked him shortly before his truck left left the compound. They escaped unharmed, though. So that was a successful leave. Good. Then the temple members proceeded to launch an attack on the airstrip in which Congressman Ryan was to depart. The shootings of this attack killed five people, including the congressman. Three... So, they, so they were able to escape the compound. They got to the plane. They got to the plane. And, and then they shot him down. Got basically. shot down, yeah. Uh, so it killed Congressman Ryan, three members of the press, and 11 others were wounded. Okay. In the wake hmm. of the shooting, Jim was worried that the military would come and seize the compound. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he just killed yeah, just, a congressman. Killed, that's a high-profile individual, my guy. Especially since, like, <laughs> it was very publicly out there that he was going to Guyana. He was mm-hmm. going to go see what was going on. People were, were expecting his return. Right. So he can be like, well, yes or no, this is great or this is not great. Yeah, you're expecting a plane to arrive someplace. You're, you know, there's just things that are meant to happen. They did not happen. happen. Yeah. <sighs> Stupid. Not his smartest move. So after all that happened... Mm-hmm. Jim called the entire community to the pavilion where he informed them that the congressman was dead and the only, it was only a matter of time. They started to enact the revolutionary suicide. Jim Jones recorded the entire death ritual on audio tape, which would be le- later known as the death tapes. And if you want to hear parts of the death tapes, I would recommend there's a three-part series on Jonestown by Last Podcast on the Left. Mm-hmm. They play some of the death tape segments. Mm, and okay. I love that podcast. It's chilling. I don't know if I... If it was, like, in a podcast and it was, like, pieces, I probably could listen to it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit there and listen to the whole thing. Yeah, no, I'm not going out of my way to listen to the death no, tapes. I have I enough depression it. as it is. Mm, I'm trying to avoid. So, in these death tapes, you could hear children and adults crying. Nope. Yeah. 
The first person to take the fruit punch laced with cyanide was Roletta Paul and her one-year-old child. They use a syringe without a needle to fill the child's mouth. So, like, those little mm-hmm. that you use for, like, Tylenol. Mm-mm. They were no. walked down a wooden walkway that led outside to the pavilions. There was a scene of panic and confusion while more and more people drank the fruit punch. Some people quietly waited to die while others walked around in a trance. Well, I mean, how terrifying. Right? I don't know what I would do. Like, I to would, know you're going to die? I would probably go sit in a corner and cry. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows there's a trend here that anything will make me cry. So. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I would just, like, pretend to drink it. Gulp. Some people did that. I think that's the route yeah. I would go. And then I would just be sitting there like, yo, homie, I'm chill. I'm dying. Woo. Woo. <laughs> So Jim would be convincing the members that they shouldn't be afraid to die and that they should die with dignity. There's, in personal opinion, there's no dying of dignity if you're being forced to die. Yeah, if you're being forced, especially, like, the children and the babies. Hmm. There's no dignity there. Jim took that away from them. Yeah. Jim Jones was found dead on the stage of the Central Pavilion He was resting on a pillow near his deck chair with a gunshot wound to his head. So, he did not drink the flavor aid. He did not drink the fruit punch. I wonder... He shot himself. Hmm. Maybe he thought it'd be longer or more suffering, possibly. So, he just wanted a quick... He's selfish. If he couldn't tell. We figured that part out. (laughs) So, they were able to carry out this mass suicide because Jim Mm -hmm. Jones... Uh, had obtained a jeweler's license mm-hmm. and stated that the cyanide was the clean gold that they were obtaining while in Guyana. So he had monthly half-pound shipments of cyanide coming in since 1976. When did this happen? 1978. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty premeditated if you ask me. I think so. Hmm. Of all the people in Jonestown... 85 members survived the event. One elderly member just laid down, went to sleep, mm-hmm. and woke up when everything was over. <laughs> that would have been my uh, my little... That would have been my plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some people slipped into the jungle, and three high-ranking survivors were on an assignment uh, outside of Jonestown, and the Jonestown basketball team was away on a game. They had a basketball team. (laughs) They had a basketball team. In total, 909 people died. Oh, my God. 276 of them were children. hate that. This resulted in the greatest single loss of American civilian life in a deliberate act until the acts of September 11, 2001. Mm. Now, I want to take a minute because of who Mm -hmm. I am as a person. (laughs) <laughs> and as a death care worker, I have to talk about the bodies mm-hmm. and their dispositions. Mm-hmm. The United States government wanted the bodies to be taken care of in Guyana, but the Guyana government wanted nothing to do with Jonestown. They were like, this is absolutely not our problem. This is your problem. Yeah. All the bodies were shipped to Dover Air Force Base in Delaware, where they were identified and some were autopsied. Many families started claiming and laying to rest their loved ones. All of the deaths in Jonestown 
um, out of all the deaths in Jonestown, 410 of the bodies were unclaimed. Mm. So there were just 410 people who just either their families didn't want them because of their mm-hmm. associations or they just didn't have anybody. I would think a lot of them either didn't have family or they were so cut off from their family mm-hmm. because that's uh manipulation right there. Uh, cults tend to do that. They go yeah. after people with that won't have family and friends going for them, which is really unfortunate. I hate that. I do too. I absolutely despise mm. the idea of an unclaimed body. Yeah. That's one of those things whenever I read stories and like people aren't identified and they're mm. not claimed, it always hurts my heart. Yeah, same. Mm. So these bodies, the unclaimed bodies were laid to rest in Oakland's Evergreen Cemetery in Oakland, California in a group grave. In 2008, mm. enough money was raised to place a black granite stone with some of the victims' names and ages. In May 2011, the funds were secured to add two more stones for the remainder of the victims and the names to be added. Okay. Both buried at the site and not. So everybody in Jonestown, their what names are now, they're, okay. they're now listed. Okay, that's good. Controversially, Jim okay. Jones, his name is on the stone. Which I don't think he deserves. Mm-mm. Well, especially because you know that he probably has his own grave mm-hmm. and his own bells and whistles. For sure. Like, that needed to be for his victims. I should have looked up where Jim Jones was buried. I'm sure it's something bougie. Probably. Knowing him, he probably had it all planned. Now, I'm in a Facebook group called The Prep Room. Um mm-hmm. Sounds where? like some a group you would be in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a bunch of uh, new and old embalmers and funeral directors. Mm-hmm. Um, there recently they had a conversation about people who in that group who were in Dover when all these people mm-hmm. came, mm-hmm. and they were talking about how just horrible it was because they had how it was like four hundred. How many unclaimed was it? Four hundred and ten. I mean. But, I can only imagine, like, you're working constantly. But you gotta think, they got all 909 bodies. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, they weren't sleeping. No. And if I know anything about decomposition and mm-hmm. the fact that Guyana's hot. Yeah. And we don't know how long it took for anybody to get down there. Mm-hmm. Or at least I don't know. I'm sure somebody somewhere knows. I don't know how long it took for them to get down there. To... I imagine fast, but not fast in the terms of decomp. Probably in a course of like probably three or four days. Yeah. But three or four days is enough time for heat heat to really get the juices to flowing, if yeah. you know what I mean. In South America, not Africa. It's hot. It's hot. <laughs> it's also hot in Africa, but we're not talking about that right now, apparently. <laughs> sorry no you're fine and that is that's jonestown that's jim jones Mm. and jonestown well jimmy jimmy you should have stuck to the churches that you used to Mm. you shouldn't have been chasing waterfalls jimmy stick to the rivers and lakes that you're used to yeah (laughs) Mm -mm -mm. Well, that was wholesome. I try to keep it wholesome. The biggest takeaway I learned is that it was flavor aid. I think that's the most important thing because everybody's always like, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Well, it's not Kool-Aid. It's flavor aid. 
It's very important. It's an important detail. Kind of want some Kool Aid though. You know, I kind of do too. Let's go get some Kool Aid. We should. Okay. All right. All right. Well, we will see you guys next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.